At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Hey everyone, Paige Harlock here from Canada's 2S LGBTQI Chamber of Commerce, also known as the CGLCC. Don't worry, Rick is here with us too. Hey Paige, great to have you back again this year. On the show this month, we have another great lineup of 2S LGBTQ founders. We're so excited to speak with these passionate entrepreneurs, diving into their stories and business journeys, and most importantly, honoring pride as a celebration of identity, culture, and contribution. Pride is a protest of historic and current discrimination and is a lived identity deserving of respect, rights, and equal treatment. We can't wait to share these episodes with you. A huge thank you to Paige and CGLCC for partnering with us to make this happen. Let's get started. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Faye Johnstone, who we're talking to in Ottawa, Ontario. Faye Johnstone has a master's of social work and is a leading voice on 2S LGBTQIA issues in Canada. She is the executive director and co-owner of Wisdom to Action Consulting Limited, a social enterprise and consulting firm that provides a range of services and supports to nonprofit organizations, health and social services, and government agencies. Faye is a sought-after public speaker, facilitator, and media commentator on 2S LGBTQIA issues, mental health, and gender justice. Her words regularly appear in the Ottawa Citizen, Toronto Star, and other major media publications. As an advocate for 2S LGBTQIA rights, Faye played a role in the fight to protect transgender rights and ban conversion practices in Canada. Faye was the 2019 recipient of LGBT YouthLine's Trans Activism Award and currently serves on the board of directors for YWCA Canada and Oxfam Canada. You can find Faye on Twitter at, at FayeJohnstone. Faye, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Paige. Thanks so much for having me on today. Of course, of course. We're excited to have you here. I kind of just want to jump into things, and we usually ask this of folks that come on our podcast. What is the top piece of advice you want our listeners to take away from today's conversation? You know, I would say that as uh, marginalized folks, as folks who may, you know, walk at the intersection of multiple identities, often we feel like we're the imposter in the room and we have to mm -hmm. learn more and do more and be more uh, to be taken credibly. And my biggest piece of advice is that you already are an expert in the issues you care about if you're living those identities and doing this work. Uh, and you should just trust yourself and all of the brilliance you have to bring to the conversation. Faye, it's great to meet you. Wondering if you can take us uh, back to the beginning of your business journey, creating Wisdom to Action. What did those early days and first steps uh, look like and how has the organization grown? 
Absolutely. Uh, so I joined Wisdom to Action in 2018, right as the organization pivoted from historically having been uh, a knowledge mobilization network. So helping young uh, youth serving organizations across the country implement best practices, share knowledge. And in 2018, the, the founder and my co-owner, Lisa Lachance, uh, took the the entity and turned it into a consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to joining Wisdom to Action, I had been an independent 2SL2IA plus inclusion consultant. Uh, and I started out, you know, getting $25 gift cards to give a three-hour talk. Uh, and over years, built up a client base and a network. And when I joined Wisdom to Action, I took all of those relationships and brought them into the firm. And that became a big element of what we do uh, for nonprofits across the country. But in those early days, it really was just myself, uh, Lisa Lachance, and my colleague Brandon uh, and the three of us, uh, you know, doing bits of work for different nonprofit organizations. And in the last five years, I'm thrilled to share that we've grown from a team of, you know, maybe two and a half uh, to a team of 10 folks working across mental health, 2SLG2 inclusion, gender justice, and generally just helping nonprofit organizations that have so much to share and so much expertise uh, scale their work and reach their communities better. That's uh, that's incredible growth. Congratulations. Could you take us through sort of a typical engagement? You don't have to tell us who the client is, but what kind of problems do you solve for your clients? Yeah, so a lot of the time we help organizations understand the implications of gender and sexual diversity. So a lot of our clients are health and social services. They are organizations that work with vulnerable communities. And we come in and we help them understand how to better support and include queer and trans young people in their programs and their policies and their approach. So that's, you know, training sessions for for employees. That's a review of policies and procedures. But we also help organizations connect with communities. So consult with local queer and trans folks, uh, build relationships with, you know, groups of women that they're trying to engage within their services. And then we help organizations facilitate complicated conversations. One of my favorite examples is we've actually been working with Canadian Blood Services, who, as you may know, have quite a complicated history uh, with queer communities, given mm-hmm. legacies, <laughs> uh, right, from the blood ban and everything there. Mm-hmm. So we've been helping them uh, redevelop relationships with queer and trans communities and find a new way forward. So that's a bit of a a picture into what we are up to these days. That's really cool. Thank you. I know you're located in Ottawa right now, but do you work with organizations across Canada? Absolutely. So my team is spread. uh, I think we've got about half the folks in Halifax, half the team in Toronto, and I'm actually the only one in Ottawa. And so we used Zoom before it was popular. uh, (laughs) And we've got folks spread across the country and our clients range from Saskatchewan, Alberta, all the way out to the East Coast. Thank goodness for a virtual world that helps make that possible. And it sounds like from what you kind of mentioned that you kind of operate as an entrepreneur with the community and others in mind. What does that really mean to do entrepreneurship through a community-centric model? And why do you feel like that is is necessary? So I think a lot of the time, you know, the, the consulting world, you've got like very large consulting firms that, you know, live in C-suite Toronto and, mm-hmm. you know, have executives who make big bucks and all of those good things. But we actually try to be almost the opposite of that. 
that. We try to really meet different clients where they're at, and we're not here to overcomplicate the work. We're here to help organizations get their projects in line and, and really help um, you know, meet their communities in, in a grounded kind of way. And so mm-hmm. for us, a community-centric model means that if we're hired to develop resources uh, for a client, so, you know, for example, we've got a trans inclusion toolkit we developed with the Canadian Public Health Association, uh, we always engage communities in the development of our products. So with, you know, folks acting as advisors to initiatives, um, being on advisory committees, and really making sure that every step of the way, we are acting as facilitators rather than experts, and we're helping bring the right folks together to get the work done. And that allows us to always stay connected to our values mm-hmm. and make sure that we're bringing the right folks into the room because others have all of the expertise. We're just here to help make the magic happen. Faye, I, w- I was struck by your phrase, we're not here to complicate this work. And I suspect there's a story behind your using that phrasing. Are there expectations people have that that, that this is going to be a complicated nightmare? I think, you know, complications. Oh, absolutely. I think especially when it comes to, to gender and sexual diversity, um, you know, it's 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 a topic that we have anxiety and, and worry around. I think a lot of folks Um, worry about using the right language, using the right terms. And a lot of my work is really helping folks remember the humanity of queer and trans people and just get back to some common sense. Uh, Most of what we're asking for in terms of inclusive care uh, is small little changes that already relate to how nonprofits and social services work. It's person-centered, it's value-driven. And so, you know, I worry that we make some of these things more complicated than they need to be when really folks just need space for a conversation, some clear tools and strategies, and then change can happen faster than you'd believe possible. That's beautiful. Thanks. That's beautiful. And kind of switching gears a little bit, what has kind of navigating entrepreneurship been like for you as a trans woman? What kind of challenges have you faced and kind of had to overcome on that journey? So I think one of the challenges that I, I encounter a lot is, is first and foremost, the idea that all of my work uh, is going to be about trans issues and mm-hmm. queer and trans uh, elements. And so, you know, we get pigeon or I get pigeonholed a lot um, we work on queer and trans issues. We also work with mental health organizations, children's rights organizations, the feminist sector, and many others. But I think that the piece that always comes to mind for me is just, you know, I don't know many other trans women or trans people who are small business owners, who are entrepreneurs, or who are in leadership positions. And so there's a loneliness to that um, that is is really hard to wrangle with. And, you know, only people who share my identities would know quite what it's like to walk in these spaces like I do. And there just aren't many others uh, in these spaces. So there's that piece. And then the other element I would say is, you know, we talk about mentorship a lot, the importance of mentorship and supporting up and coming young folks in our spaces and places. Mm -hmm. But we often mentor folks who look most like us. We mentor people we have something in common with. Mm-hmm. And I worry sometimes that for trans people, we're considered a little bit too different. And so there's this idea that we have to figure it out ourselves. And I have been graced with some very pow- wonderful mentors and advisors who've helped me do what I'm doing now. Um, but I still worry that uh, there's less mentorship for my community than there is available to many others. 
And you mentioned that you've kind of found a, a community of powerful mentors. What have you learned from those folks and how did you find that community? Some of my best mentors have been Black women from the feminist sector, uh, powerhouses who have been in organizations uh, that have had their own legacies around white supremacy and racism uh, that those women have had to navigate. And mm -hmm. so, you know, having mentors... Uh, and it's, it's different experiences, you know, black women and trans women have different realities, but just to have folks who have navigated the pain and the hope of being in sectors and spaces uh, that mean so much to you, but where there is gonna be some harm happening in those places, just having them support my work, um, help, you know, me understand how to navigate these spaces, that has been invaluable to me as an entrepreneur. Faye, it, 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 it intrigues me that you said that the, in your experience, there aren't a lot of, 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 of trans business owners or entrepreneurs. And I find that surprising because entrepreneurship was built for people who don't fit in <laughs> to, the, to, 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 to whatever um, culture there is. Entrepreneurship is for people who see the world from a different point of view and see all of the opportunities and uh, opportunities to, to, to serve that sector, to interface for that sector, to uh, take advantage of, of, of new trends and needs that, you know, the average big business doesn't see. And I'm wondering if you think that we're going to see a, a, a change here and whether more trans people will see that, hey, entrepreneurship is a way to make a difference and put to work, monetize, if you will, you know, all mm -hmm. the different experiences and perspectives that I've been going through. Absolutely. So I think, you know, maybe, and maybe, you know, there are tons of trans folks who are like solo entrepreneurs who are like, you know, in creative arts spaces and writing. I think a lot of the time for me, it's the it's the seeing folks who are in maybe like slightly larger organizations where it's not just the the individual on their own, but that they've got a team under or working with them. But I would say I think we're going to see a lot more trans entrepreneurship in the years to come. But I, I worry that um, we'll see a bit of a boom and bust cycle if we don't put the training programs and the supports in place. Uh, because these are communities that have been traditionally kept out of business spaces. And there's a lot of skill development, capacity building, learning to do. Uh, and so it's one area where I'm hoping we see, you know, more supports from governments to help support this burgeoning or budding uh, trans entrepreneurship space to thrive in a real and powerful way. And can I just ask you, what would that look like to you? What, what's sort of the best thing that uh, a, a city or, or a provincial economic development uh, organization, what's the best way that they could come in and make an impact and help with the training of trans new trans entrepreneurs? So I, I think there's there's some really great models to look at. Um, I think about, you know, um, employment skills training. I think about, um, you know, grant funding for women entrepreneurs to get started and to develop their businesses. But I think for local governments, especially connecting in with their queer and trans community organizations, a lot of entrepreneurship is happening in community spaces. And so to build relationships but to not hesitate to do targeted supports for trans uh, entrepreneurs, because I, I worry sometimes that, you know, we're often the one trans person in other spaces and places and having a space where we as trans entrepreneurs can learn together in our own cultural context, 
I think would be an inv- invaluable program to see from any level of government. Very cool. And I know as we're talking about government, Canada is really portrayed as accepting, say, friendly. But for many marginalized groups, we find that it's really a place of mistrust and and broken promises. And you often are in rooms with government officials and leaders and folks that want to make a difference for queer and trans folks. Do you find that Canada is potentially becoming a safer space or place for these folks? And where do you find Canada is right now and what could be changed to kind of achieve that if we're not there? Yeah, absolutely. That is that is my favorite question. Um, <laughs> So, you know, Canada is undoubtedly one of the safest places in the world for queer and trans people, like full stop. We have fundamental human rights protections. We have lower rates of harassment, hate-motivated violence, etc., compared to many countries around the world. At the same time, uh, 30 or 48% of trans people in Canada make under $30,000 a year. Uh, we have 20 to 40% of homeless young people identify as queer and trans, meaning that many of our homeless youth um, may have been kicked out of their homes by unaccepting families. Mm-hmm. And so we have this you know, narrative of inclusion, but the sociodemographic data underneath it paints a bit of a different picture. Mm-hmm. And what worries me right now is that in two in 10 years of 2SLTQI advocacy, I have never seen the sheer volume of hate and hateful rhetoric that is taking place all across the country and around the world right now. Mm-hmm. We have seen a 64% increase in hate-motivated police-reported violence towards our communities from 2020 to 2021. We have seen hundreds of protests across North America targeting queer organizations and queer cultural spaces like drag events. And so this government federally has done a lot of phenomenal work on queer and trans issues. They've done more than any government in Canadian history, but they have also done nowhere near enough. And on the, you know, civil society nonprofit side, our sector is budding. It is a baby sector that has historically been underfunded and neglected and driven by volunteers. And we don't have the resourcing to help address either the rise in hate that we're seeing right now, or to tackle those social determinants of health that result in our communities having such high rates of poverty and poor mental health. And so my real worry is uh, we've settled for a government that will say all of the right things and that does enough to keep straight folks who care about gay folks happy, but that it's nowhere near enough to actually unlock the potential of queer and trans people, including within our entrepreneur spaces. Wow. (laughs) Such a challenge. Um, You mentioned the government has done more than any other government, but still not enough. Are there other players that could be doing more? What what could business owners as a community do to help make safer spaces and, 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 and promote tolerance and understanding? I love that. So I think, you know, one of the things we've seen in in the U.S. that I don't think we've seen as much of in Canada uh, has been businesses loudly and proudly affirming their support for 2SL2I plus rights and condemning the rise in hate. And I think for a business to say that and to speak that truth would be extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. My other piece would be uh, I love pride parades. Pride parades are a good time. Pride parades are an important cultural event for everybody. But I would love to see corporations and businesses 
uh, supporting our communities year round and not always at the cultural festivals, but just as much at the youth center that that helps get those gay kids just kicked out into safe homes. My last piece would really just be to think about partnership and uh, diversifying our employee bases. Uh, as you said before, uh, there is so much knowledge and expertise in queer and trans communities that businesses should be valuing, not just to do the gay work or to advance inclusion, but for businesses to recognize all that we have to offer uh, and help bring an underrepresented community into this sector. Well, you mentioned a few stats. I've got a couple more in terms of, uh, you know, the problem that, that, that's out there that uh, 63% of 2SLGBTQIA plus youth reporting verbal sexual harassment, 77% report being harassed at school, cyberbullying being three or four times the problem uh, for queer and trans youth that it is for cisgender heterosexual youth. You've launched a program. It's called Safer to do something about this. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and, and why it's necessary? Absolutely. Uh, so Safer or Safer Access for Everyone in the Rainbow is a, a government-funded initiative, so funded by Women and Gender Equality Canada. And it is an initiative to help address and prevent gender-based violence impacting queer and trans young people. So those stats you just mentioned uh, speak to a reality where many queer and trans young folks experience harassment at home, in their schools, in their communities. And SAFER is all about helping LGBTQ organizations and anybody who works with young people understand the realities of queer and trans young folks and help address the violence that we face. And so that's uh, training sessions and education for service providers, that's developing resources and public education campaigns and helping share all of the innovative practices we do have from queer organizations and feminist organizations uh, to help us address gender-based violence in a meaningful way. And you're chatting a lot about gender-based violence and kind of its prevalence. Would you be able to give more um, of a background on what that looks like and its unequal impact within Canada? Absolutely. So 84% of trans people avoid public spaces due to fears of harassment and discrimination. Uh, that isn't always, you know, explicit acts of violence. Um, but I often describe the trans experience, especially for trans women, as not such that violence is every day, but the potential of violence is something you're aware of every day. Almost every time I leave my home and walk down a busy street, uh, there's going to be somebody who's going to give me a disgusted look or mutter something or make a joke or something to that effect. And that is often a trans experience. Beyond that, you have, you know, slurs, you have, you're, you know, the, the catcalling that uh, we're all too aware of that uh, targets women in our communities in horrible ways. Um, it's a lot of the same kinds of stuff that we would describe, you know, gender-based violence directed at cisgender women as, uh, but we often leave out uh, queer and trans communities from those conversations. And we forget that though there's parallels, there are distinct ways that trans and queer people are treated in public um, that deviate from how we often understand street harassment. So I get a lot of disgust um, thrown my way in public spaces compared to sexualized comments that may be directed at somebody who isn't trans. And so a lot of this is helping us understand those nuances uh, and recognize that 
all forms of public violence are despicable and should be condemned. Absolutely. And thank you for speaking up about that and about your feelings about it, because the because we don't have the representation that we need, um, you know, we we don't often get to hear uh, that side of the story and 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 how it makes one feel, and the fact that it makes, and I think you said eighty four percent of trans people, you know, leery of even being in public spaces. That's a frightening thing. And, you know, what's scaring me right now is, um, you know, as I, you know, I talked about rising hate, but for the first time in my adult life, I am seeing uh, trans people avoiding speaking out in public media um, or in public platforms because of a fear of risk and reprisal. And that, you know, if we're talking about democracy and free speech, a world, and if we're talking about entrepreneurship, like a world where people have to ponder their safety every time they happen to be visible, it's hard to promote a business if your business is getting mobbed with hateful comments on social media, which mine is now painfully used to. And so that social environment has a direct impact on the ability of trans and queer firms and consultants and entrepreneurs uh, to do their work in a good way because of that risk. And is there a way for allies to be involved with the work that SAFER is doing and help support it? Absolutely. Uh, We actually have a pledge uh, out right now as part of the SAFER project. If you go to www.saferproject.ca, it's a pledge to stand up against gender-based violence targeting queer and trans young people. Uh, And we're going to be sharing resources and educational content with everyone who takes the pledge. And that is a great way to take action. But more generally, I would say, you know, reach out to the local organizations in your community and see how you can help them thrive. Entrepreneurs have such varied expertise that local organizations would value so much. And so finding those relationships, that to me is is allyship through and through. The SAFER team, is are they across Canada as well? Who is the team behind it? Who would folks be working with? Yeah, so we've got a team on uh, at Wisdom to Action uh, that is staffing much of the project, but it was developed hand in hand uh, with a ton of partners, including organizations like the Enchanté Network, who are a national network of queer and trans organizations, um, the Canadian Centre for Gender and Sexual Diversity and others. And so it is a phenomenal example of that community-based approach that we talked about earlier, where we worked with organizations that were feminist, youth-serving, and queer and trans in nature uh, to co-create every element of this project and implement it together so that we're really seeing that that, that ripple effect in a big way. Awesome. Faye, it, 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 it seems almost ridiculous to go back to business after talking about these important issues. But I'm just wondering what you see as sort of the future over the next couple of years for Wisdom to Action and, and uh, how you think uh, your work will change or evolve. You know, I think we we have been growing quite a bit and it's been really exciting for us, but we're now at the point where I think we're, we're stable and happy with our size. And so I think our future is going to be uh, leaning into what we do best is, you know, offering more training to different organizations on gender and sexual diversity, um, helping create more products and tools that companies and organizations can use to advance inclusion, uh, and hopefully sharing more about our model, because I, I do think that the community-based approach uh, is one that has such value and potential for 
the business world writ large. Uh, and so I think we're going to lean into everything that we do now and just keep scaling it up in a good way. And for kind of young folks, I know you've talked to a lot of young folks about uh, trans rights and, and women's rights. I'm, I'm wondering kind of what words of wisdom you would have you'd say or have for young people that may be a part of that community, may not be, but are looking to potentially start their own business. I would say, I think I, I opened with the, like, you're, you're never going to feel like you're an expert until okay. you trust yourself to be an expert. I work with uh, young folks all of the time and our employee base leans to the early 20s and we love having young folks on our team. Uh, and I would really just say, um, you know, trust your own knowledge, trust your experience, um, a lot of folks walk into spaces, you know, with their with their business suits on and with this, you know, idea of themselves as experts, uh, but no one actually knows what they're doing. We're all trying our best in a messy, complicated, and ever-changing world, and no one has all the answers. If you have an answer, it's one of many, but you can trust that answer uh, because everyone's just trying their best to make the world work in a constantly evolving context. Absolutely. I really wish when I was young, somebody told me that everybody is just doing their best and no one really knows what they're doing to the full extent because <laughs> it would have made life a little bit easier. <laughs> it's a confidence boost, right? Like it's the, the idea that we're all just trying to figure it out helps me understand everyone else in the room because we're all just doing the best that we can to puzzle through this all. Absolutely. Absolutely true. We've been talking with Faye Johnstone, Executive Director and Co-Owner of Wisdom to Action. You can reach her through wisdomtoaction.org, wisdom2action.org. Faye, thank you so much for sharing your story, your journey, the good and, and the bad. And uh, we wish you uh, tremendous good fortune as you keep on working for tolerance and, and diversity and acceptance uh, for everybody. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Faye. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to join us throughout June or catch up with all our Pridecasts on the website this month. Diversity and inclusion have never been more important. Beyond these stories, be sure to check out Startup Canada and the CGLCC's Resource Guide, a new feature that includes expert knowledge, tools, and information at startupcan.ca. The CGLCC is proud to offer tools and programs to make Canada a more inclusive economy. Learn more about our supplier diversity program and out for business mentorship program for 2S LGBTQI plus entrepreneurs aged 18 to 39 and Rainbow Register, the only official accreditation for 2S LGBTQI plus friendly businesses across Canada at cglcc.ca.